0: Today on The Matt Wall Show, an MSNBC host claims that most American school kids are being taught that slavery is okay. That's what she thinks is happening in school school schoolrooms today. This is the kind of hallucinatory world that the critical race theory proponents live in. So we'll talk about that. Also, five headlines, including a new report about the rash of suicide attempts by adolescent girls during lockdown. And we have video of a female student coming out as a guy to her classmates. Which is as disturbing as you might expect. Plus, a lobster diver claims he was swallowed by a whale. It's an important story. We have to talk about that in our daily cancellation. We'll talk about the NPR article blasting Tom Hanks for making too many movies about white people doing good things. That's very problematic, as we'll see. All of that and much more today on the Matt Wall Show. <laughs> Now, a new sponsor on the show, Carnivore Trading. You know, if you want to get into the market, into trading, it's really important to seek advice from people who are who who know what they're talking about. There's a lot of bad advice out there. How do you get good advice, good guidance? Well, the thing is, Wall Street has been lying for years, saying 7% is a good return on our stocks. It's not. And also that trading is so complex, you need a financial advisor. You don't. Real people are making 30%, 50%, even 100% a year on their money trading stocks, even when uh, when the market is tough. Carnivore Trading is an anonymous team of elite Wall Street strategists. That's where you're getting your guidance. they are legends among Wall Street heavy hitters, and now they've gone a bit rogue. They're allowing everyday folks like us to see and mirror their explosive trades. Sounds too good to be true. Carnivore will let you see the trades they're making right now for free. Um, You know, I'm no expert myself, so this is something that I need. I think you do probably, too. Go to GetOurTrades.com and use promo code Walsh to get two weeks free. And if you join Carnivore Guarantees, you'll get five times your subscription fee or double your money back. Uh, Go to GetOurTrades.com, promo code Walsh, GetOurTrades.com, promo code Walsh. See website for guaranteed terms and conditions, past performance, not a guarantee of future earnings. You know, the odd thing about the defenders of critical race theory is that they don't often defend it. Maybe you've noticed that. It's a common tactic of the left generally, rather than outright defend whatever idea they put forth or whatever dogma they indoctrinate our children into, they instead accuse its critics of being, you know, brainless bigots who don't understand it. The tactic almost always is to make the idea more obscure, more vague. The more the more obscure and vague the idea, the more insulated from criticism it is. If you object to it, then they simply scoff and inform you that this is a topic for academics and scholars and educated people and you're simply too uneducated to engage in the discussion. This is why while CRT proponents accuse its opponents of being unable to define CRT, they themselves are unwilling or unable to define it. A very similar tactic has been used with Antifa, you've noticed. We've been told that those those who criticize Antifa simply don't understand what Antifa is or what it stands for. And yet those who offer this rationalization are always very reluctant to paint any kind of definite picture themselves it's appropriate that brandy zedrosny um, nbc news senior reporter that is propagandist compared the two things in an effort to defend both she wrote on twitter a couple days ago quote critical race theory is the new antifa and it's just so frustrating to see this boogeyman political tactic work over and over again antifa and crt are boogeymen does that mean they don't exist No, they do exist, we're told, but they just, they're not what we think they are. Okay, so then what are they? Well, we wouldn't understand. For another example of this strategy, CRT guru Ibram X. Kendi was interviewed by Slate a few days ago. And the very first question posed to him, I mean, it was an interview about critical race theory. First question, very simple. What actually is critical race theory? He's the expert on the subject, allegedly. He says the critics don't understand it, can't define it. Now it's his chance to offer the real definition. Sounds good. This is what he said. This was his answer. Critical race theory emerged among lawyers and legal scholars who recognized that despite being in this post-civil rights America, racial inequality, or rather, sorry, racial inequity and disparity still existed and persisted. For them and for critical race theorists, the aim was to examine those structures, those laws, those policies- so that we can uncover the structures of racism. And obviously, critical race theory has extended out to other disciplines. Personally, I think the Republicans specifically chose to attack critical race theory because they felt that they could define it more easily than other terms. Since they couldn't come out and say, oh, those people who are challenging systemic racism are a problem, they couldn't say those anti-racists are a problem. So they're defining critical race theory at the same time that they're attacking it. And critical race theory's theorists are like, that's not how we define it. Uh, okay, Ibram, then how do you define it? Because that wasn't a definition. That was a bunch of words, but it wasn't a definition. See, this should be your first clue that something is wrong. When the people advancing an idea don't want to explain it to you, or they insist that they can't explain it because you wouldn't understand it if they did. That's a common strategy, not only among leftists, but also among cult leaders. Scientologists are also very reluctant to tell you what Scientology actually is. And what does that tell you? In this case, they don't want to explain it straightforwardly because in truth, critical race theory is simply the idea that everything in America is racist and all white people are racist and all minorities are victims and vengeance must be enacted on the racist white people in order to settle the score. That's what it is. I mean, we can dance around and use lots of bigger words if we want, but, but I think when it comes down to it, that's the most accurate distillation of critical race theory. Four basic points. America's racist. Two, white people are racist. Three, minorities are victims. Four, vengeance, right? CRT cultists, cultists will object to that definition, I'm sure, but even when they object, you'll notice that they won't disagree with any of those four points, They'll only say that I'm simplifying, which I am, because unlike them, I actually want people to understand what I'm saying. For all the reasons so far outlined, when trying to um, understand what critical race theory is in practice, it's better to look at examples of it. I mean, what does it do to a person's mind? What sort of things does a person come to believe once they've sacrificed their brain to this cult? Well, for a case study and people who've given up their brains, there's probably no better place to look than to Joy Reid on MSNBC. Providing some very illuminating insight into the worldview of a CRT religionist, Joy recently tweeted the following. She said, quote, Open question to those who are afraid of critical race theory, which isn't being taught in K-12 schools. It's, of course, offered in law schools. But you clearly are conflating it with the 1619 Project. What do you want taught about U.S. slavery and racism? Nothing? Or what? Currently, listen to this, most K-12 through 12 students already learn a kind of Confederate race theory, whereby the Daughters of the Confederacy long ago imposed a version of history wherein slavery was not so bad and had nothing to do with the Civil War and lynchings and violence never happened. Is this about continuing to teach Confederate race theory and continuing to omit things like the, founding, the founders owning slaves or the facts about the mass extermination of the indigenous? Are you insisting that those things continue to be omitted? If so, why? Or is it about adding more empty praise to the teaching of history and completing the sanitization of history that already is the case? If so, why? How does that make children smarter? And don't you think kids will eventually find out the facts anyway? Would love a response. Well, okay, I'll give you a response. Um, before we give the, get the response, though, I, I, as requested, uh, I will give that, but we should note that she's far from alone in this point of view. Another quick example, Robert Reich, former Secretary of Labor, current Berkeley professor. So you kind of know what you're gonna get from him. Made a slightly more toned down version of Joy Reid's argument in a recent video. Let's watch that.
1: The so-called party of free speech, Is now going after academic freedom. A host of Republican-controlled states have passed or are gearing up to pass bills that ban teaching the role race has played in the history of American politics, policy, and law. Conservatives lob the term critical race theory against the nation's tragic racial history they don't want students to know, calling it indoctrination or brainwashing. Well, as an educator, I can tell you that the real indoctrination and brainwashing is in leaving out this history. And only teaching children the myths that we've always been a perfect country, always lived up to our ideals, and there's no need to reckon with our past. That's dangerous. Unless our children know all of our history, including the anguished role racism has played in shaping this country, they can't possibly understand why we are where we are today and what we can and must do to better live up to our ideals. The stories we tell about ourselves matter, and it's about time we
0: started telling the truth. Well, first of all, none of this has anything to do with free speech. Public school teachers don't have free speech rights to teach kids whatever they want. So this whole this this what the left is doing here by painting this as a free speech issue is absurd. Now, leftists right now are pretending to think otherwise, pretending to think that you know this is a this is free speech and public school teachers have free speech rights and they should be able to teach whatever whatever they want. And they're they're taking that approach now because it suits them. But let's see how they react if an eighth grade social studies teacher begins class by informing her students that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. That's a religious conviction that they will say in that case has no place in the classroom. And in that case, that teacher should be fired, should maybe go to jail. There should be lawsuits. CRT is also a religious conviction. It's a cult belief that has no place in the classroom. I mean, the very idea that state governments can't pass laws to determine what will be taught in government schools is is just asinine. But asinine doesn't even begin to describe the rest of what we heard from both Robert Reich and Joy Reid. In what school, in what universe, are kids not already being taught about racism? Where is that happening or not happening? What school is giving kids a mythical version of American history where racism doesn't exist at all and never existed and played no factor? To to, to the contrary, one of the only facts that most Americans seem to know about American history is that there was racism and there was slavery and both of those things are bad. Every American knows that. Every American has been taught that in school. That's been the case for a very long time. But Reed goes even further: She, she claims that most American schoolchildren are being taught that slavery isn't so bad. <laughs> she, she, she wants to know if, uh, if CRT critics think that kids should continue to be taught that. The answer is no. They shouldn't continue to be taught that slavery isn't bad, just as they shouldn't continue to be taught that cannibalism is an acceptable dietary practice, and just as uh, you know, cows should not continue flying over the moon. I think they should stay down here on earth, frankly. See, nothing can continue to happen if it isn't already happening anywhere at all, period. There there are no slavery apologetics or slavery justifications being offered in any school or any classroom anywhere in America at all. And I'll even go out on a limb and say there are zero exceptions to that. Because usually, you know, with, with, it's hard to make any blankets. Like you can always find an, an anomalous case somewhere of someone doing something crazy. But, but in this case, you know what? I'm going to say you won't even find one example anywhere of anything like what Joey Reed describes. Indeed, once again, one of the only facts about America that every U.S. citizen knows is that slavery happened and it was very bad. You can walk up to any person on the street and they can tell you that. In fact, I, 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 again, I'll go further and say walk up to any person on the street and just ask them, uh, tell me a fact about American history. The majority of them, that's one of the first things they're going to tell you. They can also probably tell you that we landed on the moon at some point and there was a guy named George Washington who may or may not have been around when the moon landing happened. Those are all the facts that most Americans know about their country. Slavery is definitely among the facts. CRT cultists think that school kids um, aren't being told enough about America's racist past. Meanwhile, in reality, that's about the only thing that school kids are reliably told about their country's history. At least it's one of the only things they retain because it's emphasized so much. And that's exactly how we ended up in a country where something like critical race theory is so prominent and powerful. That's the great irony here that some people, I think, have missed. Critical race theory is disproven by its own existence. If we lived in the kind of country that Joy Reid described, where millions of American school kids are being indoctrinated to believe that slavery is good or not so bad, critical race theory could have never come into existence and certainly wouldn't have the prominence it does today. No, CRT exists. Because kids are being indoctrinated into the opposite extreme. That's the reality of the world we currently live in. But CRT, as we've seen, has no interest in dealing with reality. Now let's get to our five headlines. Now a word from our sponsor with probably my favorite name, Moink. And one of my favorite products too, because it's all about food. It's all about meat. I, I would I would uh, never describe myself as a foodie because that's cringy and lame. But I do enjoy good food, and that's why I love Moink. Moink delivers grass-fed and grass-finished beef and lamb, pastured pork and chicken, and wild-caught Alaskan salmon directly to your door, helping family farms become financially independent outside of big agriculture. Their animals are raised outdoors, their fish swim wild in the ocean, and Moink meat is free of antibiotics, hormones, sugar, all the other junk that you find in pre food. You don't have to worry about that with Moink. Sign up at moinkbox.com slash to get a year of bacon for free. What else do you need to know? You get a year of free bacon. Um, also, you should know Moink was founded by an eighth-generation farmer who was featured on Shark Tank. Host Kevin O'Leary said it's the best bacon he's ever tasted, and it is. So join the Moink movement today. Go to moinkbox.com slash Walsh right now and and, uh, listeners to this show get free bacon for a year. Cannot emphasize that enough. That's one year of the best bacon you'll ever taste, but for a limited time, spelled M-O-I-N-K box.com slash Walsh. That's moinkbox.com slash Walsh. Well, uh, the good news, anyway at least, is that uh, we have only a three-day week. Or at least I have a three-day week because I'm going on vacation. Uh, leaving on, uh, on Thursday. You probably still have to work the whole week, so I can't do anything for you. And the other part of the good news, again, this is only for me, is that um, because we're going on vacation and it's going to be a lake vacation, that gives me an excuse to go to Bass Pro Shops today, which um, which I'm very excited about. People accuse me all the time of not smiling. I think that's a, a slight, I think that's, a, I think that's fake news because I, I do smile at least once or twice a week. But if you really want to see me smile, then you got to see me in a Bass Pro Shops. So that, that's like a kid in a candy shop. And the thing is, um, you know, I was explaining this plan to my wife. I said, well, we're going on vacation. I got to go buy some more fishing tackle and stuff. And she said, um, well, don't you have enough tackle, enough lures? And what I tried to explain to her is, no, that—that that doesn't. that's not a thing. That doesn't exist. That doesn't compute. You, you can't have enough. What do you mean enough? That doesn't enough fishing tackle is not a, that's not a thing. It's like saying and she's also told me this that uh, well, you have enough ammo, you don't need to buy any more ammo. No, there's no enough. That's not a thing. You, you can't have enough. There are certain things in life you can't have enough of. Fishing tackle, ammo. Those are two other things. I'm sure there are a few others. All right, um, let's start with this from the New York Post back into something very serious and depressing, um, but also not at all unexpected. Says from the New York Post, says suicide attempts by adolescent girls surged during the COVID-19 pandemic, worsening as the second wave wore on, according to a new study. The number of emergency room visits for suspected suicide attempts for those 12 to 17 began to rise in May 2020, especially among girls, according to a study by the uh, CDC, the mean number of weekly such visits by girls during a month long period in the summer of 2020 was 26% higher than during the same period in 2019, 26% higher by the winter of 2021. The number of ER visits for suspected suicide attempts was 50% higher than 2019 among the, the among boys. The number of visits rose by three, 3.7%. Uh, so that, that is, that's an interesting disparity. Um, The study theorized young people were at higher risk because they might have been hit hard by COVID-19 safety measures, such as physical distancing, and may have felt increased anxiety about family health and economic concerns. Um, The CDC said, quote, the findings from this study suggested more severe uh, distress among young females than has been identified in previous reports during the pandemic, reinforcing the need for increased attention to and prevention for this population. Um, females are more likely to report self-harm or suicide attempts than males, which may account for the increased ER visits by girls. Also, I, you know, if we're going to speculate about, about the, the disparity, uh, girls and women are also more, are, are more rel are more relational, you know, and, and, um, I think need that interpersonal connection. I mean, boys do also, but, um, girls are even, Tend even more in that direction. So I could see how they'd be even more affected by by the isolation. Though again, it affects everybody. And especially kids. Now this is horrible and infuriating. And it's made even more infuriating by anyone who acts surprised by it. Because this was entirely foreseeable the people who were behind these quote unquote safety measures like the cdc for example they can't act surprised this this you 100% you knew this was going to happen knew it like looking into a crystal ball you knew it with that clarity we all did if you have any understanding of human beings and how humans operate especially kids you can't rip their entire lives away from them and isolate them. Isolation has an effect on people, a devastating effect. And if you have kids that are already struggling emotionally um, and then you isolate them. On top of all of the, the the fear and anxiety that you're heaping on top of it. Telling them you have to wear a mask every time you leave the house. That's how afraid you should be. And it can't be emphasized enough. We did all of this in spite of the fact that um, there was never any serious risk to kids. That's the one thing I I can never get over. It's like blinding rage when I think about it. We can't even claim, although the the people who push these policies will claim, you cannot credibly claim that we did it for them. This was something that was done to kids knowing ahead of time the effect it would have on them. Again, you can't claim you didn't know because there were those of us saying all along, you cannot do this to kids. You're going to destroy them. You're going to have have suicide epidemics. You're going to have kids in emergency rooms. That is going to happen. We said that. So knowing what would happen we did this anyway because we were scared for our own safety, and by we I mean the general universal we. I don't include myself. Hopefully, not you. Um, maybe I shouldn't be saying we at all. They, you know, I, I, I put it that way. They. They did this, knowing what, knowing, knowing the effect it would have on kids. It's completely backwards. Is I mean, is, is anyone, does anyone want to step up to the plate? Let me ask you, does, does anyone want to step up to the plate? Anyone in the they category? Any, anyone who, who supported these policies? You want to step up to the plate and tell me that this cost is worth it? You want to tell me that? Look at the, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll just take one data point, one statistical fact here. 26% rise in suicide attempts among adolescent girls. And we're only, we're only, we're zoning in on one group here. Adolescent girls. What was it? 12 to 17. 26% rise in uh, suicide attempts. Is that, is that worth it? Was it worth the trade-off? Whatever safety we allegedly gained over the last year, was it worth a 26% rise in suicide attempts among kids? Because I got to tell you, I can't think of anything that would be worth it. That would be worth that cost. I can't think of any public policy that could be put in place in any situation that would be worth the cost of a massive rise in suicide attempts among children. Like, I would rather have anything but that. And if you tell me that, well, if we didn't have all these policies, it means that maybe more people would have died of COVID. I don't think that's that's I don't think that's true at all, because kids were not were not a high risk factor to spread or or contract it. But even sake of argument, for the sake of argument, let's say that that's true. These measures that led to a twenty six percent rise in uh, suicide attempts among among young girls. Let's just say that uh, yeah, it did that, but it also prevented some people from dying of COVID who otherwise would have. Um, I gotta tell you, I I I would take the COVID deaths over thousands of more kids trying to kill themselves. So I don't think the trade is worth it at all. But if anyone wants to step up and say that they think it is, say, yeah, you know, that's kind of rough, but uh it, it was worth it. Maybe Fauci. I want Fauci to get on TV and say it was worth, yeah, 26% rise in suicide attempts among kids. It was worth it. Because if you're defending the lockdowns even now, then that's what you think. And I want you to say it. Here's someone who thinks it was definitely worth it. Andy Slavitt, um, Biden's COVID czar, which I don't know what he has to do now. I I don't know what his job, I don't know what his job ever was. I'm certainly not sure what it is now. He says that uh, the lesson that he takes over the, from the past year is uh, that Americans didn't sacrifice enough. Let's watch. How much of this pandemic was preventable and how? Well, of course we would have had a, a pandemic here in the U.S. no matter what. Um, but but and look, we can count the, the, the mistakes and I think it's important that we do it for nothing else so we don't repeat them. We obviously had a set of technical mistakes with the testing and and the, the PPE that we know about. But if we're honest, we also had two other, two other types of mistakes that caused a lot of loss of life. One were just plainly political leadership mistakes. Um, there was a lot We denied the virus for too long out of the Trump White House. We, there was too much squashing of dissent and playing on divisions. But I'd also think we all need to look at one another and ask ourselves, um, what do we need to do better next time? And in many respects, being able to sacrifice a little bit for one another um, to get through this and to save more lives is going to be it 's going to be essential, and that 's something that I think we could all have done a little bit better on oh yeah we didn 't sacrifice enough not a, not enough sacrifice. Millions of people lost their job. kids lost a year of education uh, which it shouldn 't have gone that way, even if you shut down the schools for a year there 's no reason why kids should lose education because you could teach them at home. But the reality is that a lot, many kids just didn't really didn't get an education of any kind for a year or more, more than a year. Uh, So sacrifice that year of education, millions of jobs, um, lives of people committing suicide, including kids. Not enough. That's the lesson he takes. This tyrannical, sociopathic scumbag. The lesson he takes is that next time. He wants more of that, more jobs gone, more kids killing themselves. That's what he wants. These people are pure evil. You realize that? Pure evil. We're being we're being led by by people who are absolute pure evil to their bones. Speaking of which, um, Mayor Lori Lightfoot on CNN was was on CNN a couple days ago. And she was uh, trying to dis- she was discussing and, 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 and attempting to justify the racist policy that she had in place about interviews. You remember we talked about this on the show a couple of times. She put a policy in place for a period of time where um, she would only accept interviews from journalists who were, uh, who were non-white. Although she didn't say that. She didn't, she didn't come out and say, I don't want to talk to any of you white devils. What she said was uh, she wants to prioritize interviews from journalists of color and uh, clearly racist, illegal. You can't do that as a public official. You can't say I'm only going to talk to journalists of a certain race. Um, it, it, so she's being sued for that, rightfully so. She was on CNN, uh, but she's not backing down or apologizing. In fact, you know what? Uh, the people who are criticizing her, they are her. owe her an apology. She's the victim here, of course. Let's listen to her defense. I wanna ask you about a lawsuit that you're the target of and acknowledge that you are talking to me this morning
1: and I, by all accounts, I'm a white guy uh, and we're doing this interview together. On one day on the anniversary of, of, of your inauguration, you uh, gave interviews to only reporters of color and you're being now sued for that uh, on the basis of discrimination. Your reaction?
2: Well, the, the, the lawsuit is completely frivolous. Um, I'd use a more colorful term if we weren't on TV. But here's the thing. I'm the mayor of the third largest city in the country. I'm an African-American woman, to state the obvious. Every day when I look out across my podium, I don't see people who look like me. But more to the point, I don't see people who reflect the richness and diversity of the city. So, yes, I started a long overdue conversation about diversity in newsrooms Mm -hmm. and coverage you all are the mirrors on society you reflect uh, with a critical and important lens the news of the day you hold public officials like me accountable you must be diverse It can't be that in a a city like Chicago with all the talent that we have that we can't find diverse journalists of color. Of course we can. What they need is opportunity. And I hope my conversation has pricked the consciousness of the people who do the hiring decisions in media rooms all across the city Mm -hmm. and hopefully across the country. We got to do better.
0: You're just starting the conversation. What I love about that is, uh, first of all, justifying outright bigotry as i'm just trying to start a conversation that's all uh, but also the insinuation that we that we're not already having this conversation you know what i was looking to do i was looking to start a conversation about race you know i i figured we're not having enough of those conversations hey look i i did this and now everyone's talking about race coincidence i think not yeah, that's you know cuz that's a, that's a conversation we really need to get started. Can we you know what? Can we finally talk about race in this country? I've had enough of the silence. Um but she uh, I, I I'm I'm glad that she went on CNN to give that interview while the lawsuit is still making its way through the process. I the lawsuit is still active and she went cuz she just incriminated herself. What's the first thing she said? And you, you can tell that she, she kind of noticed what she said and she, she pivoted with the the more to the point pivot. But she started by saying, her first point of justification was, uh, I look from the podium and I don't see people who look like me. So? So what? What, you're saying that you're only going to talk to people who look like you? <laughs> yeah, we, we know that. And that, see, that's that's racism, that's excluding people, you're a public official being racist, excluding people who don't look like you and that's illegal. You can't do that. Uh, I'm sure the um, you know the lawyers that are in charge of this lawsuit, I'm sure they noticed that interview there because that that to me is that's like a that's a confession of guilt. I don't see people who look like me me. So what? get over yourself. Who cares if they don't look like you? That's not their job. And what do you? What is this "we" stuff? Uh, we we can find reporters of color and diverse. What do you mean "we"? Who is the? I don't know what the who the "we" is here. You're in the government. It's not your job to find reporters. I, I can understand how you'd have this confusion, right? You think that they literally work for you, and I mean, they basically do, but they don't literally work for you. All intents and purposes, they do. But in reality, legally, it's not your job or your place or your authority to find reporters who you deign worthy of talking to you. So just some outright bigotry there. Always fun. Now we have another fun video. This went viral from uh, my favorite site, TikTok. And this is a, a coming out sort of Event to a group at a school. I think a college, but uh, I'm not sure. Could be a high school. I, I don't even know how you tell the difference these days. But um, anyway, let's watch the. Uh, this is a, a, a female coming out and announcing that, in fact, she's she's male.
2: Um, this is kind of scary because I only realized this a couple of days ago, and I've only come out to a few people. I'm a guy.
1: I use he they pronouns and I'm gonna go by Theo yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, yes. I told my mom today and I have to go home every day and be called my dead name and have she her pronouns used every time I go home and no one realizes how hurtful it is it's like a slap in the face and I dyed my hair last night so I could feel more masculine. And I was afraid
1: I was going to get thrown out of the house. We
0: love you, Theo. Okay, she realized... Talk about a cult, right? She realized a, a couple of days ago that she's a guy. And already... So, i mean, just going based on what she said there, but... So she's been a girl, um, her her whole life to this point. And then a couple days ago, she realized, you know what, I'm a guy. And already it's hurtful if her parents continue to see her as the girl that that they they birthed and have raised. But she thinks she could go home and say, hey, by the way, everything you've ever known about me is completely wrong. um, And you must immediately adapt to what I am saying right now. And if you don't, it is devastatingly hurtful. It wasn't yesterday, but it is today. And of course, no one w- with these kinds of statements, like, no one can ever ask really obvious questions that aren't gotcha questions. They're not attacks. And they're the kind of questions you would ask if you really wanted to understand what someone is saying. And as I've said all along, I, w- this stuff that we're hearing about gender, when people come out as, oh, I'm a girl or... I'm a guy, I'm non-binary, I'm whatever. I I can only speak for myself. I actually want to understand what you're trying to say. I really do. And so when someone is a girl and they wake up one morning and they, they realize that they're a guy, how? Like Describe the process of realizing this. What do you mean exactly? And follow-up question, whatever feelings you were experiencing that you have decided are evidence that you're actually a guy, how do you know that those are guy feelings, given that you haven't been one? These, these are basic, are these basic questions? Really fair questions? Nobody asks them. I mean, I do, but nobody else seems to. And so they don't get answered. Um, but this is, a, as I said, this is an, another cult. It's all part of the, you know, leftism itself is one big cult. And there are, there are kind of offshoots from it that diverge slightly in, in their emphasis. But uh, this is another version of it. And this is someone who's been indoctrinated into it, brainwashed into it. A young young girl. I don't know how old she is. Not very old. And uh, and I feel bad for them. You know, I, the the blame that I put for all this, the gender madness, I put it on the adults who are pushing this stuff. I don't put it on the kids. You know, because they've they there are really normal sorts of emotions that you experience as a kid. And as a person in general, but speaking about kids, they're there very normal emotions. There, there's, there's confusion, which is really normal. You know, there's anxiety where it, with this kind of unsure, you're not, you're unsure of yourself, you're unsure of the world, you're unsure of your place in the world, uh, discomfort with your body, all of that is super normal. Especially for kids and especially once they they hit teenage years and they're going through puberty and beyond that and the hormones are raging and everything else. All of that is really normal. But kids now have been given a framework for understanding these normal feelings. And it's a tempting framework, especially for girls. Which is why this this stuff is much more common among adolescent girls than it is among adolescent boys. But uh, they've been given a framework. And it's it's it seems very clarifying in the moment, where they're told, "Oh yeah, you're feeling all that way uh, because you, actually you're a guy. You don't worry about what that means exactly or how that could possibly be the case. Uh, anyone who who questions it is just a bigot. Don't worry about them. But it means you're a guy, and you could start a whole new life and have a whole new identity. You don't like your current identity. You're feeling a little uncomfortable with it. You're feeling anxiety. You're not you're not liking what's happening in school. Your peer group. You're, you're not feeling accepted. Well, you can have a whole new identity for yourself." In a moment, all you have to do is just announce it, just like that. It's very tempting for confused kids. And I put it on the adults. It's all their fault. All right. We're going to try to lighten things up a little bit here. um, Because I I have to... This story, I've seen it floating around, no pun intended, for for a few days. And uh, as soon as I saw the headline, first thing I thought was, That's obviously false. That's obviously BS. But everyone else seems to to be accepting it. It's it's being reported as fact. There doesn't seem to be a lot of criticism of it. No one's really asking, speaking of not asking questions, no one seems to be asking any questions about this. It's a story about a lobster diver who says he was swallowed by a whale and then spit back out. And this is not something that he's, no, this is like this happened supposedly a week ago or something. So here's Cape Cod Times uh, with the original report. Says that a little before 8 a.m. Friday, veteran lobster diver Michael Packard entered the water for his second dive of the day. His vessel, the John J., okay, was off uh, Herring Cove Beach and surrounded by a fleet of boats catching striped bass. The water temperature was a balmy 60 degrees and uh, so on and so forth. Um, licensed commercial lobster divers literally pluck lobsters off the sandy bottom, so he was diving down. And then in something truly biblical, Packard was swallowed whole by a humpback whale. No, he wasn't. Uh, that didn't happen. It, he, he wasn't. That really didn't happen. Uh, he, he was interviewed. He said, all of a sudden, I felt this huge shove. The next thing I knew, it was completely black. He says he thought at first he was swallowed by a great white, and then he realized it was a whale. I, you know, a great white, you'll know if you're in the jaws of a great white. I don't think there's going to be any confusion Right, I've never been eaten by a shark, but I don't think there's gonna be any moment where you're like, "What's happening right now?" I don't understand. Oh, I'm being gnawed to death. No, I, I think immediately you'll know. Um, but he wasn't. He was confused at first, and then he realized, "Oh, geez, I'm in a whale. What do I do? Uh, what a predicament!" And he was in the whale for 30 seconds, and then he was spit back out, <laughs> supposedly. Now, like I said, this is I've seen this, these headlines everywhere. People were reporting this, and usually just like not even. A uh, v- lobster diver claims he was swallowed by a, wh- a whale. Just lobster diver, swallowed by a whale. And then you think, uh, okay, is there any evidence that this happened at all? I mean, was he injured? No, he did go to a hospital, but you can see the, the picture of him. He's got the thumbs up. He's looking pr- perfectly fine. No serious injuries at all. And, um, but then, then, okay, well, there, there were a bunch of boats all around. Did anyone see this happen? This would seem to be a pretty noticeable occurrence. If you see a guy get swallowed by a whale and spit back out, you'd probably notice that. You might even come out and say, hey, I saw that. That was crazy. Well, so far, I don't think anyone has attested to this except for uh, one of the crew, Josiah Mayo, was on the boat as well. And he supposedly saw this, but we haven't heard from him. We've heard from the guy, Packard. We've heard from his sister who's telling us what the other guy says. So Packard's sister, Cynthia Packard, spoke with crewman Josiah Mayo, who relayed some of the details to her. Packard said Mayo saw the whale burst to the surface and that he initially thought it was a great white shark. I don't know. These are these are people that have been on the water their whole lives and they're confusing a great white shark with a humpback whale. We're talking about one is like 10 times bigger than the other. There was all this action at the top of the water, Packard said Mayo told her. Then the whale flung her fa- her brother back into the sea. So, um, no, you know, this guy was swallowed by a whale. Oh, was he really? How do you know that? Well, his, his, uh, his sister talked to another guy who said he saw it. Or no, his sister talked to another guy who said he saw something. And then the guy told him it was a whale. Yeah. Come on, people. I'm going to give you the Joe Biden rebuttal on this one. Come on, man. Come on. What are all you people doing? Like, clearly. I respect it. You know, I respect the story. And if you can make up a story like this and get away with it, I love it. And I understand people want to believe it. I want to believe it too. Okay. If you want me to believe the story, he should have said he was abducted by aliens. That I would be on this show right now defending. it. Far more plausible. Why should you watch the Batwall show? I kind of resent the question frankly i don't know if to explain myself to you but i will say this if not for the conservative commentary on raging liberals you you should watch because you get uh, you get all the tips on how to grow which i which i sprinkle in how to grow a nice beard but more than that you get to you get to just see you the bask in the glory of the beard which i think is uh, which i'm very happy for you frankly that you that you have that opportunity to do that every day um, and that's also why i got to tell you about beardsupply.com I know you all wonder how I get this beard thick enough to stop communism from creeping in and getting into my skin, because that's a real that's a real risk. Uh, the answer is BeardSupply.com. Men like these products for their beards. Women like these products on their men. And for a limited time, when you go to BeardSupply.com and use code Walsh, you'll get 50% off your first month when you subscribe to one of their already affordable beard oils, costing you less than $8. Not only does 50% off the first month sound great, subscribing comes with its own perks as well. Like you get your product uh, of choice automatically delivered one, two or three months your choice. And uh, never worry about running out of product again, because it's always going to be coming in and you know, you you can run out of the product and you got to keep going to the store. Don't do that. Get beard supply. And remember use code Walsh for 50% off your first month of subscription. Go sign up right now. And, uh, and I wish you the best in your beard growing endeavors. Again, that's beardsupply.com. All right, let's get a couple of YouTube comments and then we'll get to the other cancellation. This is uh, from The Natundi, says, looks like they hit you with a context label on climate change. Yeah, the show, yeah, uh, last uh, Friday, we spoke briefly about climate change and they put up, a. have never seen this before, they put up something called a, cl- a context label right under the video with a link, with a Wikipedia link to climate change. Um nothing Orwellian about that. Sheila Winters says Biden is out of his mind. Senile doesn't begin to cover it. No, I think senile basically covers it. Actually. I think that kind of, kind of sums it up. Um, Justin Pierrot says, I suspect Matt of being a low key Louis CK fan nods in approval. Not really low, not really low key. Louis CK is, I think, a genius, a genius comedian. Um, I think I probably disagree with his worldview almost entirely. If he, ever, if he ever became aware of who I am, he would probably hate my guts. But all that said, a brilliant comedian. Uh, and his cancellation, I thought, was always a little bit suspect, especially now with Jeffrey Tubin. They both did sort of the same kind of thing. The only difference is that Louis C.K. apparently got consent from the women that he... Uh, performed for, shall we say, whereas Jeffrey Tubin did not. And yet, Jeffrey Tubin's being rehabilitated, so that is a disparity I don't quite understand. Um, Holly says, I'd like to suggest to you, Matt, that the Sweet Baby Gang, or SBG for short, needs its own secret handshake, an idea for you to ponder. Uh, we could think about the secret handshake. I, I could tell you what it won't be. It won't be elbow-touching. Like, these world leaders at the G7 summit, they're they're all they're all touching each other's elbows like a bunch of freaks. It's embarrassing. Uh, and finally, Chernobyl coleslaw, with our best uh, username of the day, says, "Matt, would you rather fight a horse-sized duck or twenty-five duck-sized horses? How is this even a debate? I mean, twenty-five. What are what are a bunch of duck-sized horses going to do to me? I could easily kick them away. Just step on them. Be no problem." What exactly, they, they, they're they horses, right? They're not superhuman horses with super intelligence. What are they going to, how are they going to tag team it exactly in, in, in this scenario? So I don't think I'd be worried too much about fighting either of them, but um, I'd be a little bit more worried about stepping into the ring with the uh, horse-sized duck. That's pretty, pretty clear. Thank you for the question, though. You know, Candace Owens has a lot to say, and you should really be listening if you're not already lucky for you. Now you can literally just listen no matter where you are. Uh, All you need to do is subscribe to and download Candace, which is the audio podcast on Apple, Spotify, or wherever, whatever platform you you choose. It's, It's all over the place. You can find it. Whether you're getting an earful of Donald Trump's plans for the future, Adam Carolla's jokes, you're hearing yours truly say something witty on our panel. I think that's the, the number one thing people tune into the Candace Show for, I tell myself anyway. Uh, whatever it is, you're always guaranteed a smart and funny listening experience. So go download and subscribe to Candace, the audio podcast on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And remember to leave that five star review if you like what you hear. Also, some people walk away from drugs and debauchery, and some people walk away from leftism, which I would argue is worse than drugs and uh, harder to quit. But whenever someone accomplishes that walk away, they offer an Entirely new and interesting perspective regarding the terrors of leftism. That's why I'd like to congratulate our very own Georgia Howe on accomplishing a successful walk away from the left and starting her own podcast here at The Daily Wire. Whether it's discussing critical race theory or transgenderism or talking about America's education system, whatever it is, it's all there uh, with Georgia Howe. So you can subscribe and download Office Hours with Georgia Howe on Apple Podcasts or whatever your platform of choice may be and get ready for the ultimate listening experience no matter where you are. Now, let's get to our Daily Cancellation. For our Daily Cancellation, we dive back into our country's racial hysteria in order to cancel NPR for this editorial just published yesterday titled, Tom Hanks is a Non-Racist, It's Time for Him to be Anti-Racist. Now, Tom Hanks, as you may have heard, recently published his own editorial about the Tulsa Race Massacre, where he argued that history the history we're taught focuses too much on white people and glosses over our racist past. Basically making a similar argument to the one advanced by Joy Reid and Robert Reich in our opening. Tom Hanks, in fairness, though, is uh, not as stupid as Joy Reid, but then again, Tom Hanks' volleyball and Castaway isn't as stupid as Joy Reid. Pretty low bar to get over. In any case, the point is that Tom Hanks is a white celebrity who wrote an op-ed to discuss the evil uh, of racism and the alleged whitewashing of history and so on. If you haven't been paying attention you might think that this, this would please the, the left-wing race activists. They'd be happy about it. They would say, oh, thanks, Tom Hanks, for supporting us. But because you haven't been paying attention, you don't realize that their whole game is to not ever be pleased by anything. And that's what gives rise to this article in NPR from a guy named Eric Deggins. Eric gives Hanks a nice pat on the head and a sticker for his effort, but then he explains that he's still very disappointed. He writes, quote, When I saw Hanks... Um, that when I saw that Hanks had recently written a guest essay for the New York Times calling for more widespread teaching about the Tulsa race massacre, when white mobs in Oklahoma burned a prosperous black neighborhood to the ground in 1921, killing between 100 and 300 people, I was sincerely heartened. Now, I thought we'll see him examine how his work so often focused on the achievements of virtuous white male Americans um, and may have made it tougher for tales about atrocities such as Tulsa to find similar space. But he didn't fully go there. He then quotes a few lines from Hanks's pieces from Hanks's piece, and then says, "quote These are wise words, and it's wonderful that Hanks stepped forward to advocate for teaching about a race-based uh, massacre, indirectly pushing back against all the hyperventilating ventilating about uh, critical race theory that's too often more about silencing such lessons on America's darkest chapters." But it is not enough, and of course it isn't. It never is. Tom Hanks could have ran through the streets, weeping. And whipping himself and screaming, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And it still would not have been enough. But in this case, Tom Hanks had the audacity to not apologize at all. And Eric Deggins is quite upset about that. He continues, after many years of speaking out about race and media in America, I know the toughest thing for some white Americans, especially those who consider themselves advocates against racism, is to admit how they were personally and specifically connected to the elevation of white culture over other cultures. In other words, he is a baby boomer star who has built a sizable part of his career on stories about American white men doing the right thing. He's not alone. Superstar director Steven Spielberg has a similar pedigree, notwithstanding occasional projects like The Color Purple and Amistad. And fellow director Ron Howard. These stories of white Americans smashing the Nazi war machine or riding rockets into space are important. But they often leave out how black soldiers returned home from fighting in World War II to find that they weren't allowed to use the GI Bill to secure home loans in certain neighborhoods, or were cheated out of claiming benefits at all. Yes, um, well, it would have been sort of strange to include that in Saving Private Ryan. Where would you have included the information about the GI Bill in Saving Private Ryan? What did he expect? Maybe we could have had the final scene of an old Matt Damon standing at Tom Hanks' grave, thinking about whether or not he had earned this. And then quickly, it would cut to a black man being denied use of the GI Bill. Then roll credits. Or better yet, they can do a remake of Saving Private Ryan where Matt Damon's character survives the war and then ironically becomes a Nazi. And at the end, he's assassinated by a black, disabled, non-binary, lesbian ninja. I mean, I don't mean to give Hollywood any ideas, but th- this really is the point that the writer is making. He's angry that Tom Hanks portrays white people doing good things. White people are villains, Eric Dagens believes, and that is their rightful role in any film. To close out the piece, Deggins gives uh, Hanks some homework assignments or uh, action items, to use modern parlance. He says, quote, If he really wants to make a difference, Hanks and other stars need to talk specifically about how their work has contributed to these problems and how they will change. They need to make specific commitments to change in the conversation and story subjects casting and execution. That's the truly hard work of building change. Rather than talk about the historically-based fiction entertainment, uh, what it must do, why not talk about what Tom Hanks longtime scripted and documentary executive producer will do. As a star who can get a movie made just by agreeing to appear in it, what will Tom Hanks' movie star actually do? People often say columns such as the one by Hanks are published to start a conversation. Well, here's my suggestion. Let's make part of that conversation how baby boomer filmmakers have made fortunes amplifying ideas of white American exceptionalism and heroism, and now their responsibility now, now lies with uh, helping dismantle and broaden the ideas that they help cement in the American mind. Yes, we, we would want to cement the idea that white people do good things. That's very dangerous, you know. It's dangerous to give people the impression that white people are capable of positive actions. The, the safest and best thing is to place an entire race of people in the villain role and uh, keep them there, because as we've seen through history, that always works out well, right? Right. All of this, of course, is racist nonsense. This is a man who simply hates white people and can't contain it. Unfortunately for him, he doesn't have to contain it. We can only imagine the reaction to an editorial arguing uh, arguing that there shouldn't be movies that amplify ideas of black heroism. Can you imagine an editorial about, uh, I don't know, Black Panther, where it's a white white writer saying, you know, this movie's a little problematic because uh, it kind of gives this idea of black heroism, and uh, I'm unsure about that. I think... Can you imagine that? You can't imagine it. Or rather, you can only imagine it because such an editorial could never actually be published. And even if it could, there isn't anyone who would be interested in writing it. But that doesn't satisfy Eric Deggins. Nothing ever can or will. It's not enough for Tom Hanks to denounce racism. He needs to actively demonize white people in his films. Eric has given Hanks his marching orders. His next movie must be a story about a wealthy white Republican oil executive discriminating against a bisexual Native American climate activist. And then in the end, he has to be thrown down an oil well. And as he's falling, he has to shout, I'm white and evil and I'm sorry. Just to make sure the point was clear. Anything less than that, and Hanks will be a part of the problem. And the problem for Dagan is that there isn't enough anti-white sentiment out there. And there never will be. Because that's how it's all set up. And that's why NPR and Eric Dagan are most assuredly canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. We're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Walsh Show is produced by Sean Hampton, Executive Producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producers are Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Our technical director is Austin Stevens, Production Manager Pavel Vodasky. The show is edited by Sasha Tolmachov. Our audio is mixed by Mike Koromina. Hair makeup is done by Nika Geneva. And our production coordinator is McKenna Waters. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire, 2021. Today on the Ben Shapiro Show, Megan V. Stallion teaches me a lesson about true equality and female empowerment. And Joe Biden is in Europe, but he really has no idea that he's in Europe. That's today on the Ben Shapiro Show. Give it a listen.